Hi, my name is Ramila, and this is Secret Life of Sibs. Millions of people across the world have special needs that affect their daily lives. We often hear about their parents' experiences, but we rarely hear about the people that grew alongside them, the siblings that are fundamentally changed by this experience. I'm one of those siblings, and I hope to share the stories of many more. Our guest today is Amanda White, a full-time caregiver living in California. So first of all, Amanda, thank you so much for being here today. Hi. Um, so just to start off, as always, you know, tell me about yourself and your sibling, um, you know, anything you'd like to share. Um, my name is Amanda, and I am the oldest of five kids, and my baby brother, the youngest, I am 12 years older than him. Um, he is my brother, um, my baby. He lives with me. I'm his full-time caregiver, and I've been doing this full-time like this for probably a little over 10 years now. Um, Benjamin, he had a drowning accident when he was two. Um, and he sustained a, a brain injury and, um, that's come with a whole list of things that have gone on in his life. He's trach dependent. He has a G tube. He's quadriplegic. Um, he's nonverbal, but he's able to communicate with facial expressions, which has been a big, uh, gift. And he's just so cute and sweet and amazing. And, um, I think I was 14 when it happened. Um, I, I had just turned 14. I was a freshman in high school and my parents had went out of town um, and we were being babysat and we were just kind of hanging out, watching a movie. Um, and for whatever reason, we decided to gather all of the kids together and we started looking for Ben, could not find him. Um, myself and one of my other brothers both came into the living area where there was a big sliding glass door and we saw my brother being pulled out from the pool and um he was blue he he was gone um he, he was worked on for quite a while at the house and um was taken to the hospital i went to the hospital and um, had a conversation with the doctor. He was asking where my parents were. And um, I told him they were on their way. And I said, you know, can I go see my brother? He's probably scared. <laughs> and I had no idea what was, I'd never, never really thought about what the consequences would be for something like this, if you should survive it or come back from it. And, um, you know, in my ignorance about it. He just said, you know, he's probably not going to make it through the night. Um, and he most definitely would not even know who you are if you went and saw him. And, um, that's when things kind of started to really, um, hit me in that way. My parents came running in and watching them hear what happened and what the doctor was saying to them and all of these things, these little events, um, have become like a, for all of my siblings, um, we all have PTSD from this event. And, um, 
you know, I've been uh, depressed probably most of the time <laughs> since then, um, you know, and I have anxiety that definitely stems from this event. Um, and this is something that's like, you know, it's, it, it was a life changing thing. Like, you know, I remember someone saying, well, oh, well, he came back and you guys got him back. And it's like, we didn't though. He was one way we knew him, you know, before he had his accent, he was crazy. He was kind of mean. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he would like hit us and, you know, throw things at us. He had an attitude, you know, he was, he was crazy. And then when this happened, he was a completely different person. And so it's like, we, we've been mourning this loss of this version of who he was, but he's still technically here. And we had to kind of like re get to know him in a different way. Um, and so this past year we hit 20 years, um, his 20 year anniversary of his drowning accident. And, um, we're very relieved and thankful for him and, you know, that he's survived and he's had a lot of different challenges and things, near death things that have happened. There was other incidents. Um, you know, one time he stopped breathing in one of my other brother's arms and, you know, we've had a lot happen with him. Um, but that's, Currently now, um, I'm his caregiver. I have my husband and two kids. They're uh, seven and two. And Ben has kind of become like, he. they call him B or Uncle B, <laughs> but he's kind of become like a sibling to them in, in a way. And my daughter, she's seven and she's really... Um, very close to him and reads to him and um, is very protective of him. And I'm kind of starting to see these things in my kids where, you know, I guess just things that are unique to being a sibling to someone who has these issues. And then I'm kind of starting to think now, like, <laughs> am I creating like another situation in a way like now for my kids um, to kind of go through and, you know, life with Ben, it's never something that's like calm or easy. Um, so I worry about things like that. Um, yeah. And I was going to actually ask, um, you said that, you know, you've been Ben's caregiver for the last 10 years and your kids are two and seven. So what was that decision like, uh, deciding to start your own family, um, alongside being a full-time caregiver, um, I can't imagine that decision was taken lightly. Yeah. Um, my husband, Travis, is just, I can't even begin to say what what kind of a person he is. He's just, I think I met him. Yeah, I was 17 whenever we met. And we weren't even like um, serious or anything. And I said to him, um, I want to talk to you and say, <laughs> if you have intentions, like for us to be a long-term thing, or if we should, you know, be together forever, there is a very, very strong possibility that I'm going to end up being Ben's caregiver someday. I, he will probably live with me. If this is something that you can't, you know, do like no hard feelings, it's okay. Um, the very first time that Travis met my brother, uh, he held him on his lap and 
been had an accident all over him. <laughs> and you know he he got like slammed with it right away yeah. like boom here's here's this life this is what reality is like for my family and um Travis left Ben right away and now today my husband and him have they're like best friends and um he has sometimes kind of like a maybe a fatherly type of way with him or just a buddy way or like their brothers. Um, so us being together, we were together for like 10 years, I think before we decided to have kids. And um, when this conversation came up, it's like Ben had a situation happen where his airway precluded and mm -hmm. he had to get a trach from all of this. And that's when things really turned more serious and it's like, okay, someone has to take care of him like 24 seven. Um, and so we both made that decision together. And I remember asking him, you know, what's going to happen if like down the road we have kids and, you know, we have Ben and all of these things, like, you know, what, what, what do you think about that? And it's not something like, there's no way you could really prepare or, yeah. um, you know, cause life just happens and you don't know till you know. And, um, so we had been, I think for like three or four years or so before we started having kids. And, you know, whenever I had my daughter, like everything to do with having kids, it's like, we have to have kind of like these two sets of things like to go have my daughter it was a huge thing. Like who's going to watch Ben because who knows how to take care of Ben. And I had a lot of anxiety in, in that. And in the process of having my kids, I didn't really like, I wasn't able to fully be in the moment with, Oh my gosh, I just had a baby because <laughs> my mind's at home <laughs> thinking yeah. about my brother. Yeah. Um, and so there's been a lot of things, you know, challenging things to consider and, and think of, but my husband has probably um, championed that maybe even more than me. He knows what my brother means to me and I think wants me to be happy and um, have been. And so it's just, you go through different things in and out over the years and things change and they evolve. And like right now, thinking back whenever we first decided to to really take this on, which was, yeah, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I could, I did not think that we would be where we are <laughs> right now in life. And so I think that that's something too, that you just know when you have someone like that in your life, that every day is different and things can change so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't think it was something that we really, um, it wasn't something that we struggled with. Um, it mm -hmm. just kind of, I think too, honestly, like I, I live that way just kind of like day to day. And I can't really think too far ahead into yeah. the future. And Ben is definitely like the main reason why. Yeah. Yeah. Looking too far into the future is just kind of scary. And I think life in general with, uh, living with someone who has a disability or many disabilities is it, it's unpredictable you know, health mm -hmm. issues happen, nobody can do anything about it, and you have to deal with it in the moment, and there's nothing to do about it. And also, it's amazing that Travis is so, you know, 
he's you're one of your brother's best friends and he he really just stepped into that role even though that's not his biological sibling he's still like almost a found family um Mm -hmm. which is wonderful and you mentioned that you know you were 17 when you kind of broke it to Travis like hey like if this is going to be a long-term thing I might be my brother's caregiver so Mm -hmm. you had started thinking about that pretty early in your life you must have been in high school right oh yeah and you know Ben and my second youngest sibling um he's another brother that I have both of them when since they were babies I've helped take care of them in some way. Definitely. Um, with Ben, I think, yeah, I was 12 whenever he was born. And so I could help my mom Mm -hmm. do, you know, a lot of different things. She had her hands full. She had five kids and it just kind of became like Ben was always on my hip and (laughs) he's always been a part of me in some way. And when this happened, you know, they, told us, I remember there was, um, I think she was probably a social worker and she came to our house and talked to me and my three other siblings. Ben was in, um, a rehab facility after his accident Mm -hmm. and she wanted to just like touch base with us and at like, see if we were okay. And, you know, did we have any questions? And the only question any of us really asked her was how long is he going to live for? Uh, we see our brother dead basically. And then he comes back and now he's relying on machines and Mm -hmm. tubes everywhere. And it felt so uncertain for such a long time. And she real uh, randomly just threw out and said, Oh, you know, he'll probably be like 12. And I remember kind of like, it just like, it was a a sock in the chest. Like, wait a second. Okay. (laughs) she's saying like that this is the age that he's going to pass and you know years later like we were paralyzed by that for years and years like we'd always be oh yay happy birthday but you know oh my god we're getting closer to 12 and you know obviously um ben is he just turned 22 um and so i had a conversation with a neurologist years and years later and told him about that that situation and he said oh she probably said that because Statistically, when you end up disabled like that, you're, you know, you lose your ability to walk and you become wheelchair bound. Um, typically, a lifespan is 10 years and he was two when he drowned. Um, and so it's just kind of like, I don't know, there was always something after that conversation where I knew I wanted to do and be a part of his life as much as I could because it felt like, like we were running out of time. Um, and I all, I still feel like that though. <laughs> I feel like that every day. Um, I think too, even before it was even a thought that I was going to be like his real, real full-time caregiver. Um, I always, I never thought of a time that I would just like, you know, move away or um, go off and do something far. Um, it's always just felt like it's something that was in me. I also know I've read a statistic before that usually when something like this happens, it's the eldest daughter that usually becomes the caregiver for a sibling for, you know, aging parents and things like that. Um, It kind of just felt like this is what I was supposed to do, but not because it was like a, 
obligatory thing. Like I, I wanted to be with him and felt and knew if I want to be with him and be close to him, this is what it has to be. This is how, you know, life would be. Um, and so I don't know. And I've felt a level of responsibility for him. Um, when this happened, he, I was the last person that talked to him. He came to me and asked me to play with him and I didn't want to, I fed him some dinner and, um, he had chicken nuggets and fruit and, um, I got him down and cleaned him up and he said, I want to play the trucks. And I said, no, go, go play over there. And that's the last time anybody saw him. Um, Mm -hmm. I have an immense amount of guilt and, um, sadness. And I think that that probably plays into it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's definitely something that's taken more of a back seat because I feel, I think because I feel fulfillment now and I feel like, um, for what has happened, I can't change it. Obviously. Um, Ben has, he's the happiest he's ever been in his whole life right now. So that's wonderful though. Um, it, it's horrible that, you know, at such a young age, you and your siblings were hit with this like number, this, this number of years that, you know, Ben might've been expected to live and then to constantly, and that never goes away even after that age, like you said. Right. And you, you said that it, it's fulfilling for you now, um, being his caregiver and being able to, you know, live with him and be part of his life. Have you ever had moments where, you know, you've wanted to do something like for yourself that wasn't related to family? Yeah, all the time. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't do anything, um, for myself, really. I don't go or everything, every, every single day. There's no time. I think sometimes it feels like there's no time to even think about what I would do. I know that when I was in high school, um, I had what I think is probably like a lot of girls dreams to do. Like I wanted to, and I think it's because there was a level of me wanting to escape my reality. Um, I wanted to, I live in Southern California and I wanted to go live in New York and I was going to do something. I was going to paint, make clothes. I don't know. (laughs) I wanted to do something creative and, you know, and I had that, those thoughts and dreams about doing something like that. Um, but I think I always knew that it wasn't something that was going to happen because of what happened with Ben. So it was easy to just dream about something like that and think of something. So, you know, what I felt at the time anyway, to be so far fetched, you know, and I think I had probably in my early twenties was probably the most, what free maybe Mm -hmm. that I felt or that I was, Ben was really stable at that time. And he had a lot of nursing care um, from like home health aides. Um, so I had more time and, you know, my mom, she had time to do more. And it got to a point where the nurses, like there was always something happening to Ben when we would have nurses, he would get sick or mm. um, one time his leg was broken. <laughs> oh. um, things like that would go on. And it finally was like, I we can't keep um, risking his life basically. And I knew at that moment, whenever we decided to just do away with the supplemental nursing care, that this is really just it. (laughs) This is, this is what's going to consume 
everything. And so it's, it's hard a lot. Um, my husband always tells me, go for the day and just go do something by yourself. And I don't ever want to. Um, and it's also anxiety. Um, and just how much the possibilities, like there's something always in me in the back of my head, you know, this all happened because I wasn't engaged. I wasn't present. I didn't, um, want to do that. And I think that subconsciously a lot, um, that plays into my decision-making with things. And especially when it comes to doing anything for myself, um, I do every week I do therapy. Um, I do EMDR, the eye movement desensitization, Mm -hmm. um, for PTSD. And a lot of it stems with stuff with my brother. And so that's probably really the only area that I've been able to really prioritize is, you know, my mental health. Um, it's significantly helped me. Um, and I've been doing that for a number of years, I think like six years or so now, and I probably will always do something, some form of therapy, but it feels like, you know, I've got my brother and I have my two kids. And so (laughs) what else is it that I could possibly be wanting to do? Like, it feels wrong if I even think about doing something beyond that. Yeah. And I can, I can also imagine that that's, an isolating feeling, um, mm-hmm. even from when you were a teenager or even your early twenties. Like I know, like my friends, like they don't have to think about being responsible for another human being until they have their own kids, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But siblings, a lot of times, will ha- have in the back of their mind, like, well, somebody's gonna have to do it, and like somebody's gonna have to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that is full-time caregiving or at the very least just like holding guardianship. And I know you had Travis, but I wonder if, did you have anyone else that remotely understood or that you could talk to about this stuff or was it just all kind of bottled up? It's been bottled up for a long time. Um, you know, and I have other siblings, um, they, and I don't feel like a resentment or anything like that towards them. You know, they've all been able to go off and live their lives. And, you know, I kind of have a glimpse, an idea of what my life would have been like by seeing them, you know, have kids and get married and, you know, buy a house. And it's just like the two of you and you're starting mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a a regular kind of life, um, you know, but there's just it. I could talk to them and I do talk to my sister a lot. We're very close, but at the end of the day, like I always feel like I can say, I can talk about it at length to them, my mom, my dad, my husband. And it's, I never really feel like, okay, like somebody hears me, somebody sees me. Um, and (laughs) sometimes I feel like Ben is the the person he can't speak back with me but um I talk mm-hmm. to him all day and I feel like he probably <laughs> understands me more than anybody <laughs> on this planet does. Uh-huh. um you know and so that's been kind of like a, a rough um thing and I've had family members you know question me um I think that they've been fearful 
for Ben when something serious is going on, I've had the question, well, what were you doing? How did this happen? Well, why didn't you do A, B, and C? And, um, you know, I've, it, it, it never gets like lighter or easier hearing something like that. And it only makes me feel like I can't say anything. I don't, I feel so, it, it takes me back to his accident and mm-hmm. trying to figure out like, um, what am I here for beyond taking care of people? I feel like a lot of my, I know that a lot of my self-worth is wrapped up in taking care of my brother. Um, and I, I try really hard not to, but every single day of my life, I have at least several times the thought in my mind, one, when will Ben die Two, what will happen when he dies? What will happen to me? What will happen with my kids? Will I have any sense of like individuality? Will I, will I survive? (laughs) Um, I think about like his funeral, what that will be like. And, um, you know, it's a lot of things with being an individual. Like I think, especially today, everything's so individualistic and, you know, Mm -hmm. I grew up in more of a community sense type of way. Um, you know, all for one, one for all type of thing. Thinking about now, like we're all grown up, we're all adults. Everyone's kind of off living their lives. And I think I'm still stuck there. I never progressed past, you know, just being my own person because I've always had that attached to me. So there's times that, you know, I will share things like this with my sister or, you know, one of my other brothers, we talk a lot, we're really close and it just doesn't feel like maybe like they, that they don't get it. And then I feel weird even saying that because he's their brother too, but they don't, you know, take care of him. They're not with him every day. And that's been a hard thing to have to kind of, um, heal through and not, not take things personal when they're off living and doing whatever. And I have felt so like me and Ben have been left behind a lot. So it's hard to want to like say anything or like bring this up with those people that I feel like would have the most understanding. Um, Mm -hmm. And they don't really get it at the same time. We all lived through this. We lived in the same house, but um, I did have a very different experience through all of that and continue to. Yeah, it's even having those other younger siblings. Yeah, I can't imagine how difficult it would be seeing. I mean, I'm sure part of you is also happy for them that they're mm-hmm. able to have their lives. Oh, yeah. That doesn't, yeah, nothing that you said negates the fact that you'd be happy for them, but also it is so valid to feel like you're stuck. And mm-hmm. um, even though it was willing, it was an obligation, it, it's still something you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, And Ben also didn't get to have a life that he might have had. Mm -hmm. It's just a very difficult situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when the people closest to you, you feel like you don't understand, like, have you found anyone or other people in this situation, basically, like online, like maybe not actually like in person, but any caregivers or anybody online that you've been able to talk to or connect with? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have anyone in my personal, like, you know, 
my, my real reality <laughs> of life that I know that's like in this situation or even that has a sibling like this. Um, I, I found this, um, app it's called clubhouse and there is a group of women on there. They are mothers of, um, mostly primarily premature, um, children, but also just, you know, parents of children with disabilities in general. And, um, I kind of identify more in that lane because I take care of Ben. He's my brother, but you know, he's, when I refer like to my kids, I talk about the three of them and he's one of those three. And so talking to them and like hearing their stories and their points of view and, you know, just regular daily things that have gone on. Like I have felt so relieved and even this, the little things like, the last one that I was listening to, they, there was a heavy conversation about um, COVID safety precautions for people like Ben, you know, and that they've been experiencing like that their families, their outside of who, you know, lives in their home, you know, even their own family doesn't get it that people like Ben, when they have, you know, Ben has restrictive lung disease and he's um, had a pneumonia some years ago and he's very, he's medically fragile and so we haven't been living. We haven't been out. We're starting to feel a little more, you know, comfortable. We're, you know, we're doing what we can, but it feels so like you're just cut off. And someone had said, and this is very much the case in my family as well, that someone keeps bringing up to her, you know, well, such a small amount of people <laughs> are dying. Um, and what it really is, is that the small amount of people are people that mostly have disabilities and people that may be a strain otherwise, but they're still people, they still matter. Yeah. And, you know, hearing this mom talk about that, I just like, I lost it. I just started <laughs> feeling like, oh my gosh, there is, there really is somebody else out there that yes, under like hears this and, and agrees with where I'm coming from, but she actually understands why. And she's been having to live the same way that me and my family has been having to live. And she has kids like, you know, other children besides her, her son. Um, and having resources like that have really helped at the same time. There's been things in the past, um, you know, my mom got us involved in various things like for um, siblings of uh, people with disabilities. And it kind of was like disingenuous. It never really felt like um, it was like, hey, let's all meet up and introduce ourselves. And then maybe we'll see each other a year from now. You know, it's like, OK, there's no real opportunity to really connect with somebody. And um, with Clubhouse it's what I really love about it too, is I'm super busy. I don't have time. <laughs> um, and these women, they meet once a week. Um, I believe like there's a meeting like on Tuesday and there's one on Thursday and they'll have mm -hmm. like different topics that they'll discuss. And it's just, you know, you can talk about, or one great, wonderful thing. Um, there's a woman who she, her son has a trait he ran out a bunch of his trach supplies, his insurance got cut off, and we had a ton of stuff. And Ben, me, 
um, and several other women, we were able to kind of like scrounge up like spare trach stuff to send to her. And her son got through these, you know, rough few weeks of not having anything until his insurance got sorted out and stuff. So that has really like been a, um, a source of like comfort and just having, knowing like you're hearing someone else's voice and you know that they know and you don't have to explain anything. (laughs) You don't have to say anything. It's like, you know, just like talking to you, I don't have to like preface anything. Nothing has to come with like, well, let me explain something and tell you. (laughs) It's just, this is our lives. And it kind of makes you feel like, you know, these are your people. Um, I'm, I also have uh, different communities like on Instagram that, um, I follow like certain pages and I'll have conversations with people here and there from time to time. And that's, you know, nice to have. That's wonderful. I mean, it's a bit, it's late (laughs) in your life to have found that, but it's good that you, you know, finally did. And, um, I understand identifying more with the moms because, I mean, essentially being a full caregiver, like that's what the traditional role of a mother is seen to be, to be right. right. Um, so that makes perfect sense. Um, well, before we close off, I wanted to ask two questions. Um, the first is what's something that you wish people knew about life as a sibling to someone with a disability? Um. I wish people knew that the siblings that are in the background of these situations and these families, whether it be like, you know, someone has autism and, you know, another, whatever it is, that um, a lot of times the other siblings are not given the same um, amount of time investment. The sibling that has the disability usually gets most of the parents' time and attention. You know, people are more so concerned with them. And I think that I know that me and my siblings have grown to just kind of understand and we accepted a long time ago. Um, We kind of formed like our own alliance together to kind of get through this situation. But I remember feeling sad um, this happened to my brother. We didn't ask for this, want it. It was given to us. Um, and so now on top of your life, you know, literally being turned upside down, you're also going to kind of be shuffled down to the bottom pile of, you know, what's most important. Um, and so a lot of these people, me and my siblings, we have grown to kind of, you know, depend on ourselves a lot. Um, and I've watched that play out as adults, you know, things where like, I will never ask anybody (laughs) for help. Um, I can't, I won't. And I may complain sometimes. Like I say a lot, I'll say, I can't have nothing. I can't do anything, but I don't want the help. And, you know, after the dust has settled, it's like, oh my gosh, I wish sometimes like I could have a, uh, an assistant. Someone that could just, you know, be right there, like even just to remember things for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but living like this and, you know, you're you're glad to do it. And there's times like where you can feel like resentful or 
sad or frustrated, angry that your sibling is kind of like absorbing all of the attention that they so very much need. You're still a person though. (laughs) You still, you still matter. Like, you know, um, that's something Mm -hmm. that was, I think the hardest part of like just moving on with life for the rest of us, the four of us, when my brother had his accident, my mom like never came home. Um, Ben was in the hospital for like two and a half, three months. I'd say my mom came home maybe two or three times. She never came home. And, you know, and it's like, I've talked to her about this before and it's not something that like I'm hurt about necessarily. It's like, you know, we were still here, you know, we had random people coming to help take care of us. My dad still had to go to work to provide, you know, and we just were kind of shuffled off and, you know, Mm -hmm. on the, on the back burner, but there was a good chunk of time where yes, we missed our mom, but it was also like something really traumatic happened. We all saw it. We all saw our brother dead and lived through this situation. And we were kind of just like thrown out in a way, like just by the world, I guess in general, you know, well, that sucks. Life goes on you got to get over it and keep moving. Um, I wish that people knew the isolation that we all feel from time to time, sometimes constantly. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not equal. There, there isn't a sense of like equity, I guess, in a, in a family, unless if your parents have really got it figured out, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, and, Something I do know as well is like most families, the parents, they end up divorcing. Um, and that's what happened with my parents, um, you know. And so it's there's so much more going on in the background than just like this jarring thing, like to see Ben and me out in public and he's in his gigantic wheelchair and he's got all this stuff going on and he's making all his cute little Chewbacca sounds and stuff and You know, and there's people that are staring. I think like they just see this image, you know, this isn't your typical daily thing that you would probably see in a human being out in the world. And I'm pushing him in his chair. And I know that probably 90% of the time, nobody even notices me. They're staring. They're so caught up in staring at him. And I'm like making mean faces and like mouthing stuff to them. Like if you, you know, but they're not looking at me. And that's just kind of like an example, I guess, just like in so many different ways, you, I feel like you're, you're not seen for who you are and what gifts you can bring and what, you know, your value, your real value is in your family, in the world. Um, You're on the back burner. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about, don't realize. Uh, When I started this podcast, and I I think my mom sent it to um, some family back um, in India, like an uncle or two. And um, when they talked to me about it later, they were like, I hadn't even thought about your first, like I, that never occurred to me that, you know, you're also, you're living in the same house. You grew up with your brother. And in the same way that things affect your parents, like that must affect you. And Mm -hmm. we straight up had never thought about it. 
so yeah like there's so much I wish people would just think about and like it's natural for them not to because they never had to (laughs) so it doesn't mean we wish (laughs) um but yeah Okay. And then the other question I wanted to ask is what's one piece of advice that you'd give to someone who's growing up um, or living in a family like yours? I guess I would say to siblings growing up this way, um, and maybe even especially for girls um, that typically have that role in their family where they are, you know, the nurturer, they kind of help like their, their mother's assistant or, you know, the one that's always showing up for their siblings in like a secondary, you know, motherly type of role, um, to try to find ways to prioritize themselves, um, their mental health specifically. Um, I feel like I would probably just fall apart if I was a teenager today. I feel like you know, with social media and the things that teenagers in general, kids that are seeing and what they're, you know, stacking themselves up against, it's probably, probably would have been um, a much harder time for me if, if this happened during this climate that we're living in. Mental health is Mm -hmm. something that is really important to me. I don't think I would still be here if I didn't get help. I also feel like oftentimes, you know, something that like really, really affected me and my siblings in in just a really sad, horrible way is how our family, our extended family outside of us as siblings and my parents, how they reacted and how um, they did or didn't show up for us. Um, That has probably been one of the most painful parts of all of it. Um, I feel like grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, it's kind of that same thing of where siblings kind of get put on the back burner. Um, A lot of our family did that with us, but also I think we're afraid of just the situation and kind of like frightened of my brother And a lot of them kind of like pulled away from us. Um, It kind of like, it felt like even our own family, man. (laughs) It, that was probably like one of the, it was one of the hardest things. Like we obviously survived through that period of time and got through it, but having family, it, I feel like so many things would be different today. Um, And so if you don't have that family uh, support, find your people. Um, I did not do that. I didn't know how to do that and that I needed to do that. Um, and I feel like I probably would have gotten through a lot of these, you know, hard times with Ben easier if I had more of a village around me and family is really important to us, um, to me and not feeling like, you know, these people that you are related to, that they would even, um, (laughs) I don't know, show up for you, um, to see you, to um, create some type of a net, like of, it's okay, you're safe, um, I'm here for you. 
Um, I don't even know that we would have even reached out to them for anything, but just to even know that someone was there probably would have shifted the tide for a lot of different, you know, decisions and things that me and my siblings have done since all of this. Um, yeah, I just feel like family's super important, but just because you are blood related to somebody does not mean that you have to hold like allegiance to them. You have to create your own family, your own network of people. Um, find your group. I just picture like an, an, an umbrella, like an upside down. <laughs> and just, you know, not that I want to be in the umbrella. I want to feel like maybe I could take a couple of these bricks off and set them in somebody else's umbrella for just a few minutes. <laughs> that would have helped. Um, and I just didn't have that. Me and my siblings did not have that. Um, and I, I really, that's probably, yeah, that is definitely like the biggest thing to me is finding the people that can give that to you. Your parents are not going to be able to give you everything that you need in, in these hard times and growing up. And even whenever things are just mundane and things are calm for a while, um, yes, you know, your parents are going through things too. You kind of like, it's kind of, you know, you got to go get it, kid. You got to get up. <laughs> and take care of yourself. Like you, you have to fight for, um, the things that you need just to even have like, um, a sense of like self-worth to just do and fight and do whatever you can to find that, to, uh, hold on to that. Everything else falls into place. I think that's really, really sound advice. Finding, your people because we talked today so much about how it's just lonely and at the very least even if you don't find people who will get it who at the very least are willing to listen or if needed step in just having that safety net whether you use it or not mm -hmm. one of my best friends he has like the most like uneventful life. He's got like a really small family. Nothing ever really happens. And, um, you know, he can't really relate exactly to what goes on in my daily stuff, but is he just, he shows up for me and will just listen. And even having that it's, you know, it's, it's invaluable. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for being here and sharing your experience and, you know, what life is like with Ben, what it was like growing up and today. So, yeah, really, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. I think this is wonderful. Thank you for taking the time to peek into the secret life of Sibs with me and our guest Amanda. If you're a sibling, we hope you know that you're not alone, and if you're not a sibling, we hope you got to learn about a new perspective. Go ahead and follow to turn on notifications for upcoming episodes, and look to the description box for a list of resources specifically for siblings. Welcome to the secret life, and see you next time. <laughs>